Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Now, today we're going to talk about being a mentor. So perhaps you've been asked to be a mentor, or maybe you're part of a mentoring program, and maybe you've mentored before, and you've probably had one or two great mentors in your life. Maybe you've had some not-so-great mentors in your career. And I will bet that you have a view of what mentors to do, but today we want to challenge that because today we want to talk about the 13 different roles that mentors can take, partly to broaden your understanding of what it is you could be doing as a mentor and also for people looking for a mentor to broaden your understanding of what you can ask a mentor to do. And that's the focus for today. All right. And I happen to think, by the way, that each of these roles has a series of pros and cons. Each of them has their own secret sauce. And the purpose is to talk about some of them as we go. So my guest today is none other than the wonderful Scott Jeffrey Miller, who's been a guest on a number of occasions and a major prolific writer, highly sought after speaker, author, and podcast host, Wall Street Journal best-selling author, and currently serves as Franklin Covey's Senior Advisor on Thought Leadership. Prior to this advisory role, Scott had a 25-year career with Franklin Covey as an associate, serving finally as the chief marketing officer and executive vice president. Um, he hosts On Leadership with Scott Miller, highly recommended, and which is the world's largest weekly leadership podcast. And Scott is also a partner in Miller Plus Gray, which is a speaking literary and talent agent. So Scott, welcome to the show. Again, I might add. Wanda, I honestly am super grateful to you. Thank you for shining your spotlight on me. Thank you for allowing me to come on and talk about 13 roles. Sounds like a lot. It is. Yeah. Uh, what I love about your podcast is what you do better than anybody I've ever been interviewed by is you are a master synthesizer. Your ability to recap and move forward is, is a genius you do. So I love coming on your podcast. Thank you again for the platform. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. It's a pleasure to have you. And if you keep writing wonderful things, you can keep coming back. So, okay. All right. So you've got lots of books, Marketing Mess, the Leadership Success, um, uh, Leadership or Management Mess, the Leadership Success. I get all the titles of all of them. The Master Mentor Series, which is now about to be in volume three. Um, all these people that you've interviewed before, why did you think it's worth to write a book about the mentoring roles? What's inspiring you here? Here's a story I've not told before. As you mentioned, I've written a series of books called Master Mentors. They really weren't about mentoring. They were about people that I had on my podcast. And with their permission, I wrote an uh, insight that I learned from them, which in essence is mentorship. And those books were published by HarperCollins. Well, HarperCollins came to me and said, hey, would you like to write a book about mentorship? And I said, well, maybe. I have like four or five other books in me right now, but I'm not sure. Let me think about it. So I went back, Wanda, for like an hour and realized I'd love to because it's a passionate topic that I'm invested in. And I had started to gain a little bit of a reputation around having some points of view on mentorship because of the book. Right. But it really was the publisher's invitation you hope you get to a point in your literary career at, you know, where that publisher asks you to write a book. And so I went to the drawing board and 
flushed out 15 roles that I thought all mentors play. And my review committee read it and they passed out. And then when they came back awake, they said, yeah, no, you can't have 15 roles. It's too many. Scott, you were like Stephen Covey's agent. Seven. Seven is the number. So I took it down from 15 to 13, which was a big compromise for me. But I think if you look at what successful people have in common, it's probably work ethic and mentorship, right? They work their hearts out. They outwork other people. And amongst other things, they're the recipient of great mentorship. So I realized after having dedicated my entire career to leadership, leadership development, that not all the school, not all the skills of leadership translate to mentorship. Sometimes they're inversely correlated. So I wanted to make sure people knew that just because you're a great or powerful leader doesn't mean you're going to be a great influential mentor. And that's the premise of the book. I like this. Um, I I do. I'm going to just take a sidestep. I think great leaders, we could talk all the time about this one. I think great leaders are really good at pushing themselves to take one more step and one more step and one more step to make a change, to do it a little differently, to get more feedback. But I also think they're great at asking people for help, for advice, for perspective, whether they're formal mentors or just people they run into and they ask for advice. Some of it, they, some of it they leave, but that asking is seems to me to be distinguishing them. So, okay. Um, so before I dive into your 13 roles, I want to pick up on what you just said. Some great, some leaders, leadership qualities set you up to be a great mentor. Some don't. Say more about what you mean there. Well, I think there's a difference between the latest thought leadership on being a leader mm-hmm. and how the vast majority of leaders are. So let's just talk about how the vast majority of leaders are. I think they're well-intended, but not always received how they intend, right? I mean, I think in in leadership, we learn to communicate, right? We're usually powerful communicators. We're in persuasion mode, selling mode, influence mode, which means we're talking. We're clarifying the objective. We're clarifying the goal. We're holding people accountable. We're probably better at speaking than we are listening. Mm -hmm. I think mentors are about 80% listeners and 20% speakers. I think that in leadership, you're taught to peel the onion, get to the root cause, and as many piercing questions as possible. It's a great leadership skill sometimes, and it can be a good mentorship skill, or it can be like the prosecuting attorney where you're, you know, kickboxing with someone. And so I, I think there's parts of leadership that move over in mentorship, but mentorship really is about empathy, listening, wisdom, discernment, activating making sure you don't confuse the way you did it with the way your mentor should do it, what your journey is versus what their journey should be. That isn't to say great leaders can't be great mentors, but there are some developed skills that mentor that leaders tend to perfect that might be good when it comes to meeting their quarterly EBITDA, which might be counter beneficial to coaching a mentee that might be lost on their own journey. Yeah, you didn't mention one, but just struck me as you were speaking, that notion as a leader, I'm used to making a decision and moving it forward. And if that's not right, course correcting it. But there's that move, 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 move. And that unrelentlessness often leads to greatness. It can leave people by the wayside, but that same kind of unrelentless drive can be ineffective in a mentor. Beautifully said, because as a mentor, as a leader, 
I tend to have, as you probably can tell by my energy, we're met and you and I are friends. I have a highly accelerated pace. I'm a very efficient person. I like to get things done, check them off. Sometimes I have to scoop up a body or two and put them on the, on the tank with me. You know, I mean, as yeah. Colin Powell said, if you're not pissing people off, you're not getting stuff done. That's not my mantra, but sometimes <laughs> you have to like get stuff done. But with mentorship, I think you have to bring a different level of energy. Sometimes you have to be unnaturally patient. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to be okay with ambiguity. Mm -hmm. You can't solve your mentee's direction of, do they want to be a chiropractor or an orthopedic surgeon in an hour? Those yeah. are different things. They have maybe something in common, the body, but not much else. And you might have a mentee who's really wondering, should they be a massage therapist or an oral surgeon? And this is not crazy, right? So it does require you to take the leadership competencies you've perfected and then calibrate them as appropriate for the setting, the circumstances, but also the self-esteem, the self-confidence, the education, the socioeconomic background, the upbringing, the, the dramas, the traumas, the joys that'll be different in your mentee. Right. There are similarities to leadership, but for as many similarities similarities there are, there are differences. A lot of differences. Yeah. And also level. I find a lot of more senior mentors forget the the fewer degrees of freedom that you have as you move down the hierarchy. Beautiful. And so what they would like to have you do is not exactly what you can execute given your boss and so on. Okay, Scott, um, let's make a distinction here. I have three. So bear with me on my definition. I talk about three levels of advice that you can get in the organization. So I'm going to give you my definition and you can kind of speak to this. I think there most of the time when we sign up for a mentoring program or we start with somebody fresh, we're really getting an advisor, meaning we're going to meet with them once or twice. We get some advice. We ask a question. If it works, we come back. If you come back multiple times, you've moved into the mentoring space. But frequently, it's one or two. Try it on a bit, if you will, as a mentor. And I think you can go to lots of people for advice. And I think it's easier to reject the advice of an advisor, harder to reject the advice of a mentor. Mentor implies to me a bit of a mutual commitment and mutual chemistry, meaning we enjoy talking to each other and your advice is something I want to take, that I will take seriously if you're my mentor. Moving up from mentor, I think there's a thing called advocate, which are people who know your work, are happy to speak about you when asked, and they're a bit of your champions in the background. They're not going around banging the drum on your behalf, but when somebody says, hey, do you think Wanda could do a good job? The adv advocate would say, absolutely have faith in her. And then last level is um, a sponsor who is a bit of a super mentor in ways, but they're ones who are willing to put their reputation on the line to back you. And that's a very different level because mentor doesn't imply that the mentor is going to back you. The advocate doesn't imply that they're going to put their personal capital on the line to back you, but sponsor will. And so I think there are multiple levels of support we can get in the organization. Now, out of that calibration, when you speak about mentors, what are you talking about, Scott? Well, precisely what you just said. You and I, fortunately, on this topic have, have vision luck. But if we didn't, it still be a very valuable conversation. I write about exactly that in this book, is that I do think a common misperception, misconception between mentees and mentors is the role of mentor. I like the way you... You hierarchically organize that. You're right. You can have an advisor 
and it would be very informal and episodic. I think most of the Fortune 5000, Russell 2000, Inc. 5000 companies now have formal mentorship programs. There's a cottage industry that's been developed around outsourcing your mentoring to a platform when they match pairs and organizing, that kind of thing. Chemistry, all that's important. What I'm really talking about here is that middle level of mentorship where you're probably uh, assigned or connected to a formal mentor. It may be in your organization. It may be with your university or alumni. It may be um, in a not-for-profit, but it's a formal program, Mm -hmm. more formal than informal, at least. Mm -hmm. You might do 10 sessions or 12 sessions or nine sessions, and you have a, a responsibility to each other. But I think the big insight that you shared there is one that I'm passionate about, and that is not to confuse mentorship with advocacy or allyship or sponsorship, because that's not how I define it. A mentor is someone who has wisdom from their mistakes and their successes that can help you discover and uncover what your journey could be. Not prescribe it for you, but listen and share, delve, almost like a paleontologist or an archaeologist, brush away the dust and ask good questions. And so what if you did that? And what if you did that? And let's talk about that. And hold on a second. That might have an issue there. I do not think that mentors should be held accountable for advocacy or sponsorship or allyship unless they choose to. I, I might be your mentor helping you decide whether you should go to law school or medical school. And I might have not have any idea about your competency or your character. I might not know your track record and I don't know about you, Wanda, but next to my soul, my reputation, my network is my most valuable possession. Yeah. And I guard it with fierce jealousy. Now, if Wanda Wallace calls me and say, hey, I need an intro to Ariana Huffington, one text. I know Wanda well enough to say, Wanda's the real deal. No problem. A mentor in two sessions wants a connection to Seth Godin? No way in heck. Call me in nine meetings after I've seen you make and keep commitments, right? And I've seen you actually follow through and I've seen your work. So I do believe that mentors can choose to become an ally, an advocate, and a sponsorship, but that's a conscious decision. And as you know from the book, the second role is boundary setter. Uh-huh. Set very clear expectations up front as the mentor, what is a mentor and what is not, at least as it pertains to your role in that. All right. I want to get to the 13 roles, but I have to ask one question, Scott. I like how you said that. It's really nicely done. Tell us about what your best mentor did and tell us about what your worst mentor did. Well, I'm very clear on the best. So the best mentor is a person I never met in my life. His name was Bruce Williams. And for your listeners and viewers that are my age, back in the 80s, there was a guy on talk radio, AM radio called Bruce Williams. He hosted the Bruce Williams Show. It was a Monday through Friday weeknight, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. call-in talk show. He was a small-town mayor, entrepreneur, and he was sort of like, you know, Sean Hannity meets Dave Ramsey, or maybe Dave Ramsey meets, it doesn't matter, no politics. It was all about, you know, business acumen, financial knowledge. I inherited some money. What do I do with it? My husband divorced me. I need to go find a job. What, how do I do? What, what is a credit score? What, do you need an attorney at a closing? Well, unlike most of my contemporaries who were listening to pop music and rock radio, I was a nerd alert listening to Bruce Williams for three hours every night building my business acumen. So Bruce Williams passed away five year, or so years ago having no idea I was even alive. I never met the man, never talked to him. He does not know I wrote a book in his honor. 
But Bruce Williams was my mentor in life, more so than my parents or Stephen Covey or anybody else. Because I've learned a ton from him. And I share that because I don't think you have to be in a formal mentorship relationship to have a mentor. Go find your favorite author. Go find your favorite podcaster or blogger. Maybe it's Drew Barrymore. Maybe it's Tucker Carlson. Maybe it's Ariana Huffington. Whoever it is, read their books. Go to their con- – I'm not advocating Tucker Carlson. He's had a rough, rough week, rough month, rough decade. Uh, politics aside, you decide who is your mentor, and you can co-opt them as such without their permission. Now, worst mentor, I can't think of a name, but here's the skill. My worst mentor was someone that tried to turn me into them. That was probably unconsciously, but well-intended, living vicariously through me as their second chance. Mm -hmm. And their intent was pure. They really wanted me to go pursue this, but they were confusing their talents and their competencies and their fields of experience. You called it something earlier about freedom of cho- freedom of choice or what did you call it? A freedom of choice is a good way to say autonomy. Yeah. And not everybody has that same level, right? Because of income and experience and trust fund or whatever it was. So my worst mentor was probably those people who were well-intended, but they were building a path for them through me, not a path with me for me. Yeah. Yeah. The degrees of freedom is what I said. Yeah. Yeah. Say, sorry. Want to say it again? What did you say? Degrees of freedom. That's what it is. That's a brilliant concept. Degrees of freedom. Beautifully said. I'm writing that path down. With me, but for me. Not a path with me, but f- yeah. Okay. For me, with me. With me, for me. Okay. I got it straight now. All right. Fantastic. Yes, we see that all the time. I hear that all the time from clients who've gone to, you know, don't want to talk to a senior leader because the senior leader will tell them what to do. And that's what the senior leader will do. And then they feel held accountable for actually executing that. And now you've damaged your relationship with the senior leader. So it gets, it can get dicey if people are doing or not allowing you to do you, your path, your choice, your freedoms. And they're trying to tell you what to do and how to do it. It's such a great insight you just shared, because as I look back at my more senior leaders that mentored me, none of them had my personality. Mm-hmm. Like I look at one gentleman, right? Very reserved. I'm quite impulsive, very deliberate. I'm quite precocious. Harvard MBA. I walked on the campus once and took a picture. I mean, nothing in common, but, but who I am is who I am. And I like who I am. And it comes with some ups and downs, but he was incapable of understanding my passions and my journey and my how my brain works and what my ability to focus or not focus was and where my genius was. He was well-intended, but, you know, I didn't, my knot wasn't as tight as his knot in his tie. Yeah. And so it didn't work. Yeah. It had nothing to do with his intent. It's yeah. just his, yeah. his ability to move outside of his own frame of reference was almost zero. And therefore it just did not work for either of us. Now, I've seen people who do have a different personality who don't have to make a mentee constrained to their personality, and they can often give great advice and perspective because they will be able to say, look, I realize what you're trying to do, but when you're trying to influence people like me, here are a few things you might want to think about. There's there's a way of bringing that in that isn't trying to turn somebody into a carbon copy of you. I think is sort of the principle here we're trying to get to. You can tell you're an executive coach. 
And to, <laughs> to further that, I think it's important that the mentor have a mindset of never using the phrase, well, Wanda, if I were you, I would do this. You can yeah. never say that because you're not Wanda. You have different skills and talents and passions. What you can say is, well, when I was faced with a similar situation, here's how I handled it. Now, yeah. let's talk about all the ways you could handle it based on all of your strengths and areas of growth. And then that you, then you separate your wisdom from prescription. Right. I think that's the secret. The wisdom from prescription is a sort of secret sauce we're getting at. All right. Let's move into these 13. Scott, I feel like we just need to do the list of the 13 so everybody knows what they are, because I want to delve into a few of them, but not all of them. <laughs> so grab a cocktail. Because it yeah. might take a few minutes. I'm kidding. I got the book. I've got the book here, everybody. Yeah. The yeah. ultimate guide to great mentorship. Okay. You want to run through them or you want me to real quick? You do it. Your book. Okay. Number one, the revealer. Number two, the boundary setter. Number three, the absorber or the listener. Number four, the questioner. Five, the challenger. Six, the validator. Seven, the navigator. Eight, the visionary. Nine, the flagger. Ten, the distiller. 11, the activator, 12, the connector, and 13, the closer. And I should add that there's a bonus, the jerk, but we're going to leave that one aside for now. That's that's for people who read the book. All right. I want to talk about each of these, or a couple of these, not all of them, some of your favorites and my favorites, um, some of them in contrast to each other in interesting ways. And I want to know what is so special about this role and what are the pros and cons of this role? Like, where does it work and where does it not work? And let's start with the revealer. What is that one? So I wrote the revealer first. By the way, it's kind of the only one that is sequenced where it needs to be. The rest of them are kind of, you know, plug and play. The last one is the closer. It's obvious. The revealer really has two jobs. One is to have the mindset of my job here is to uncover so that my mentee can discover. I think about my personality, Wanda, and you know me well enough to know that, you know, when I enter a conversation, I have a pretty big personality, I have a strong presence, I'm a loud person, I would call myself charismatic, my wife just might disagree, but I have to be really mindful that I'm entering the sort of metaphorical dig site, if you were to use the paleontologist or archaeologist, and I'm not coming with a jackhammer, right, and a pitchfork so to speak, or, a, or a, a hoe, whatever that tool is that you might break up a concrete sidewalk with. I'm right. coming in with a brush and a little, like a little dentist pick. I'm just kind of helping my mentee to the extent they need it, uncover what is it they're trying to accomplish. That's the first role of a mentor. What right. is it you want to get done? What right. is it you're trying to accomplish? Now your mentee might come with a clear, clear prescription. My lifelong goal was to be a patent attorney. Okay. Are you sure? Yes. Are you really sure? Okay. Let's talk about being a patent attorney. <laughs> and and others might be wondering, should I get an MBA or a JD? I don't know which degree I should get. And that's a whole different level. So the first role of the, re of the revealer is to become very gentle, very cautious, helping your mentee identify what is their goal. Secondly, as the revealer, you're mindful of your metaphorical footprint. What is your personality like? What is your vocabulary like? How intimidating are you? How inviting are you? Are you making your mentee comfortable being uncomfortable around you? Are they feeling uptight? Are they feeling intimidated? Are they have to choose their words to match your vocabulary? Does their energy have to match your energy? And so in this one, 
it's a big it's a big standard, right? To right. really help your mentee uncover their goal and be super mindful, super self aware of your presence, your impact. Because by the very nature of being a mentor, you probably have some longevity or hierarchy or education further than them. Not always, but often. And you want to make sure that doesn't intimidate or overwhelm the relationship. Okay. All right. So I'm helping. I love this metaphor. And I love that you do this throughout the book, that there's metaphors that help you get an understanding of what this like this uh, role is like. It's helping people gently, slowly with a paintbrush uncover their goal, their question, their goal, their mission, without overwhelming them with your own sense of the world, approach, style, energy, vocabulary, presence, even for that matter. I I beautifully said, oh, wait, I I said that. No, I appreciate you recapping that because I think it's a temptation mentors have. Well, we could do this. What about that? Or how about this? Or I would do this. And it's so well-intended, but it can be really overwhelming especially if you're someone like me, that as a leader, you've built a default personality style and it's strong. I think actually those people like me can make the worst mentors because we're not so mindful of sometimes how we overwhelm people, how we can, you know, um, dominate people so easily. Okay. Fantastic. Fantastic. Where's, what's the pros and cons of the revealer? Well, the pro is you become an expert at patience, slowing mm-hmm. down and accommodating your mentee's pace, being comfortable with their confusion, being p- comfortable with their frustration. That's the upside is it, it makes you a better person, better spouse, better partner, better friend, better human, better everything. I think the downside is it may, it may, it may hijack your process because most of us have a cadence. We have a flow. We have a, a um, we have a formula we tend to apply to most issues in life, right? Whether it's business problems or relationships or solving something. And so it might actually hijack your style a little bit and you might have to become more comfortable having that. I don't know there's a lot of downsides to this. I guess you could overwhelm your mentee by being too prescriptive, but then that would be counterintuitive to the role. Right, right. Okay, and I can imagine, so I think a lot... I'm not sure people looking for a mentor are looking for a revealer. I think many times people start looking for a different role. We'll come to which one that is. We might think it is. But this notion that somebody's going to help you uncover what is there, what is buried in you in ways without overwhelming you with their own style. So, okay. All right. The second one I want to talk about is boundary setter. And Scott, I have to tell you, I hadn't thought about this one. But once it's there, I see it. So tell us about the boundary setter. This is a role I think most mentors neglect because they also aren't aware. This requires you to move outside of your comfort zone and discuss the undiscussables. And after the break, we can talk more about that. But basically, it's making sure you follow this adage of good fences make good neighbors, that you describe in your mentorship role what you are and are not willing to do. We can even role play it after a break. But it's, it's, it's really intended to avoid conflict, confusion, or embarrassment throughout the process. Okay. So what kind of boundaries would people be setting as a mentor? Oh, well, one, as the mentor, I'd be setting boundaries around 
The fact that, you know, I'm not a mental health counselor. So if you want advice on relationships or spousal stuff or part you're the wrong guy, right? I mean, I've experienced being married and being a parent and being a leader, but I'm not that. Um, I also may or may not have acumen on the exact goal of what you have, whether you want to become a dentist or open up a floor shop or launch a nursery. So I'll do my best to bring wisdom and principles of life to bear, but I may not have the nuanced or functional expertise in what you want to do. Lastly, and most importantly, and I mentioned this earlier, is that I would state very clearly, I cannot be your Rolodex. I won't be your Rolodex. I guard my network with great care. And so please do not find yourself maybe even accidentally asking for me to provide my network to you. Now, I tend to be a more public person, and most people know my network is a little more, you might say, celebrity-based because the podcast and as a talent agent, my day job. But I make it very clear that I'm going to ask you not to place either of us in an uncomfortable position by asking me to do something I'm not comfortable doing because the answer is going to be no. Now, I tend to set very strict boundaries up front. By the way, I don't do it in the first five minutes, right? I, I might say something like, hey, Wanda, I need to have a three-minute uncomfortable conversation with you. And by the way, in four minutes, it'll become comfortable again. But I think it's important that we set some boundaries, that I set some and that you do as well. Right. And that I, as a mentor, would walk through my boundaries in hopefully a genteel, soft way. And then I would invite you. But Wanda, do you have any boundaries you want to set up yeah. front too? Yeah. Now, your boundaries might be as simple as I need you to show up on time every time. Yeah. I need you to be on camera, prepared. If you make commitments, I need you to deliver on them. And every mentor will decide what boundaries, if any, they want to set. And then you also will decide whether you choose to lessen them, lighten them, or reinforce them based right. on the maturity and the trust that your mentee earns in you. Right. I might come into the conversation saying, I'm not going to give you any connection. That's not what I do. And then four calls in, I might say, wow, Wanda is the bomb. I'd love to introduce Wanda to my wife's law partner because he's looking for an intern. So if I set them firm up front, then I can lower them based on my calibrated trust with my mentee. Right. I think inside corporations, mentoring inside corporations, this is one that is desperately needed because I think people, particularly if you're in a mentoring program, there's not enough understanding of what you will and won't do. Like, Will I ever have to cancel a meeting? Maybe I will. Should you take offense to that? Yes or no, right? Let's have a conversation about that. Am I available for emails or text messages or chats from you or slacks from you or not? Um, do I always want you to book through my assistant or not? You know, like the, those as well as am I willing to open my network to you? Is that what I'm expecting to do? And I think we miss that role all the time. It does feel uncomfortable, especially as you're starting a relationship, but I can see why it is such a powerful one. All right, Scott, I know we're almost time for a break, but I want to do one more, the validator. This is my favorite role of all 13. Favorite because, and I sometimes get emotional about this one because it's had a big impact on me as a, as a mentee. Um, you, have the, you have the power as a mentor to be a transition figure in someone's life by maybe naming their genius mm-hmm. or calling out a strength you see developing in them or a self-defeating habit that's becoming less prominent. Mm-hmm. And this is not the complimenter. This is the validator. And I think this is a very judiciously employed mentorship role. 
Meaning you don't just validate, hey, you came on time today or great, I like the weird background. No, this is, this is when you use the power of the pause, which I'm not very good at. Well done. <laughs> Being quiet for a moment and say, Wanda, can we stop for a moment? I want to just call out something I see you do. You are excellent at transitions. I mean, your ability to seamlessly move from one topic kind of encapsulate it and move it into another is an amazing podcasting skill. I'll bet that serves you well, not just in your relationships, but in you diffusing conflict when it, ex you, whatever it is, right? I've very deliberately named a specific genius or talent. And the reason I say that is even the most accomplished among us have gotten our asses kicked in life. And all of us at some point could use that validation to metaphorically pack it in our backpack as yeah. we go on our journey in life and unpack it when we need it because our you-know-what's getting kicked again somewhere. I have a great story perhaps after break around how someone did that to me, but I think you have the chance to specifically name someone's talent or genius or validate their passion because you can validate someone while still not agreeing with them. That seems to be a lost mentorship. Yeah. Art. Yeah. Yeah. We, that the, the whole notion of validating something somebody is feeling or experiencing or really good at without agreeing to it is one we have missed and it's heart and soul, I think of empathy. Um, so let me make a connection to this and then we will take a break, you know, out of the comfort zone, something I talk about, write about, speak about, coach about all the time. How do you get yourself out of your comfort zone and keep going? And I swear one of the essential ingredients to succeed and stepping out of the comfort zone is an understanding the strength you are bringing, even if there's 90, you can't know how you don't know how to do. But when you can focus on the one strength that you have in a situation, it lets you get comfortable with everything else that other people are bringing. The best way to understand the real strength you are getting is from a validator. Somebody's given you that somewhere in your life, or even a senior manager in the role that you're just taking on out of your comfort zone, that will see you through. And I've seen it hundreds of times, the power of the validator. How's that? Beautiful. I don't think we think about that nearly enough in terms of the role of the mentor. So with that, perfect time to take a pause. When we come back, Scott, I want to hear about your personal st story, and then I want to contrast the validator with the challenger or the flagger, so we start to understand how these roles get separated. My guest today, Scott Jeffrey Miller, the book that we are talking about, The Ultimate Guide to Great Mentorship, 13 Roles to, impact, to Having a True Impact. We'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. 
Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Scott Jeffrey Miller. The book we're talking about today is The Ultimate Guide to Great Mentorship. This is about the 13 roles that a mentor could play, and I might add sometimes in combination with each other. What I think is so powerful about this is most of the mentors I've ever encountered have thought about one, two, maybe three roles. And broadening the set of roles you could play with a mentee, I think is going to make you a better mentor. I also think that makes you a better negotiator about what the mentee actually wants from the relationship. And if you're a mentee looking for a mentor, this is going to give you a much better guide on what you should be asking for, what you ask your mentor for, and what you ask the program who's assigning a mentor to you. I'm looking for somebody who can be more of a validator for me for example, and I'll give you words to help doing that. I love it. So we talked about three roles, the revealer, the one who kind of takes the gentle brush and helps uncover for you, the boundary setter, who's really clear about what they are and are not going to do and invites you to do the same, the validator, the one who can pull out your particular genius or your critical flaw and talk about it in a way that is really useful and helpful to you and the power of the pause with the validator. Okay, so now I want to contrast. Well, no, before I do that, Scott, you have a great story about somebody who was an amazing validator for you. Yeah, I'd love to hear the story. Well, I've had many, right? I, I'm, my entire career has been the result of people believing in me more than I believed in myself and naming my genius and naming what my self-defeating habits were. Wanda, you know this about me, but not everyone does. I have... 
uh, suffered, if you will, from a lifelong speech impediment. I'm a stutterer. I have a very pronounced stutter. I've had braces three times, Invisalign three times, headgear. I have had two speech pathologists. I have a speech coach. I went through decades of speech therapy as a child and adolescent. There is, I don't know, 40 to 50 words I can't say in person, in public rather. And that number triples or quintuples in the winter time. If you go snow skiing with me, it'll be a very quiet experience because this, the, the cold weather tremendously exacerbates my stutter. It's hard to tell much now because I know the words I can't say in public. So as you know, a lot of stutterers read a lot so they can build a big vocabulary so they have alternatives. Uh-huh. So when I say things that are a little bit awkward, it's because I know a stutter word is coming up. So I've metaphorically pulled my car off into a rest stop to pick up a word to come back on. And so to be a stutterer, you uh, lots of reasons people stutter. Mine, I just my fix has been to have a alternative word for a word I can't say. Anyway, rewind 40 years ago. I'm living in Orlando, Florida, where I'm from. I'm working at a small bakery in town. It's Orlando, so lots of tourists. And in comes a woman from the Middle East who's a tourist. And she's asking me for directions for someplace. I don't know what it was, a hair salon, doesn't matter. It was about an hour, about about a mile away from where we were, right? Six blocks here, four blocks there, two blocks there. And I gave her directions to get to this place. This was this was an Israeli lady. I'm guessing Hebrew or Yiddish. I get those mistaken. I apologize. Was her first language. English was her second language. Is it Yiddish? Is it Yiddish or Hebrew? Both. They're separate. Okay. One of those. Anyway, she was Israeli and English was her second language. And as I'm passing her croissant and her hot tea over the counter, she says to me at the age of 15 years old, she says nearly, quote, wow, you are a great communicator. This will become a great skill for you in life. And she left. Now, this is a guy that could barely speak in public. And this woman selflessly, for whatever reason, decided to validate me on that day. This was 40 years ago. Like, I remember what she ordered because it was such a profound experience. I went on to become a student body president. I hosted an iHeartRadio show. I'm a podcast host. I speak for a living and I've had a lifelong speech impediment. And do I, do I think it's all because of her? No, of course not. But she imprinted in my mindset that I was a great communicator and she gave voice to a skill that I couldn't even fathom. The reason I share that story is you should never disingenuously validate someone's skills, right? Because that can be dangerous. Right. You, can, you right. can convince someone that they can do something and some bad things can happen. I, I, I've convinced people they can speak in front of 5,000 people because I can and they implode it. I can convince people that they can ski black diamonds and they've come down in a stretcher because yeah. of the persuasive power of my validation skills. So it needs to be used judiciously. I think it is the most potentially impactful of all of the roles when done with the right intent, the right delivery, on, and, and the right timing about the right topic. Right, right. And presumably in a mentoring relationship, it's one of the roles that get played, but it isn't the whole role is, you know, come and see me every month and I'll validate something about you again. It's in a context of a flow of a lot of things, but not to forget the power when you do want to call that out and use it. Okay, now contrast validator with two other roles, the challenger and the flagger. And by the way, how are those two different anyway? 
they're barely different. In fact, I, I disclosed in the book that, you know, some people might find some overlap. Forgive me. It cost you 20 bucks. I'm sure you got enough value. Okay. Um, the challenger, this is rule five. This is really about understanding your own challenging level. I, I wrote a unscientific, you know, challenger continuum from everything from scorched earth to passive aggressive, right? And right. kind of finding what is the level with which you're willing to push back on people. Challenging is really about just making sure that someone's maybe off mindset or, you know, nuanced experience isn't becoming like their normal operating system, right? It's kind of just gently pushing back and calling a timeout if needed and saying, you know, is there more to that story or there must be more going on here. So the challenger is kind of the guardrails. You're keeping the car on the road, not going off. It's an important skill because a lot of people aren't comfortable challenging, right? They're not comfortable moving outside of their comfort zone. They want to be liked. They want to be adored. They want to be respected. And that's not great mentorship. Now, to your point, the flagger, by the way, this is a skill, right? Knowing what your natural challenge style is like. My wife says, I love conflict. She thinks I seek it out. And she's probably right. I love a good argument followed by a beer. My loves, my wife loves a good argument followed by two days of not speaking to me. We have very different <laughs> challenging styles. By the way, my wife is a genius. Um, probably the day she's not speaking to me. Um, her blood pressure goes down for sure. The flagger is a little harsher. This is the person who is, again, kind of metaphorically putting the car in park, taking the keys out and saying, uh, we're going for a walk. <clears throat> this is the person that's saying, yeah, major timeout. That sounds illegal. Now, I'm going to assume good intent, but if you pursue that path, here's what's going to happen. It's called the SEC or... Actually, that might be legal, but that's not really ethical. Let's talk about what could be the downside of that. The flagger is someone that generally stops something in its track. The mentee might be confusing their emotions with facts. They might actually be telling half the story. You know, Wanda, sounds like your boss is tough. But I'm going to guess in that company, they don't tolerate that kind of behavior so there must be more to the story here. Is, is there anything else that could be going on? Let's talk about that. It feels like there must be a backstory there, right? This is the person that you're making sure your mentee is confronting the facts, is telling the whole story, isn't getting themselves in over their head that might have really negative repercussions. It's sort of like the flagger time, or the, the, the flagger is kind of like the challenger times two. It right. may be that you never have to employ this, right. but in the book, I say, be prepared in case you do. Right. I see this in a gentler way. You said, you know, an illegal or unethical or borderline behavior, something that's going to get you in trouble. But I see it because people come to a mentor, they come to me as a coach, and they have one version of a scenario. And they have a whole set of facts consistent with that version of the scenario. But if I were to meet the counterpart, I promise you there's a different version. And occasionally that surprises me because I do meet the counterpart and go, oh, whoa, wait a minute. It's not that it never, simple. It anymore. never surprises me, but keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but the flagger's job, in effect, is to say, hold on, that can't be all of the story. Let's uncover this other side here. And it can be a little confrontational too, uncomfortable. You said, you said something very valuable. And you said it with some nuanced words, but we generally tell stories that are favorable to us. Yes. 
And again, your mentor is not your therapist or your counselor or your HR representative, but mentors just need to be mature and sophisticated enough to know when are the facts being conveniently organized to portray the mentee in a positive light, because we all do that. Right. We all do that. And then challenge and then question it, flag it. Like, let's talk about it. Whereas the challenger I'm getting the sense is asking an uncomfortable question. Yeah, you're 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 willing to. What else might be happening? What else is happening? Right. Tell me more about that. And is it possible that this is going on? And I mean, have you thought a lot about this? And have you done the right research? And I don't think you should challenge everything, nor should you flag everything. Again, it can't be your default style because it would just be very frustrating. But just knowing when to employ it, and you you know what? Okay. It, it might be employed on consequential points. I think it's right. like you could. You could challenge someone into like paralysis or fatigue. Right. Of course. Of course. And let's admit that you can challenge in a way that feels like you're under police interrogation. So that is not what we're talking about. We're talking with a good intent. I often use the word gentle curiosity. So, all right, let's go to activator. What is an activator? Now, so at the validator, I think is maybe the most um, important one. This is the most powerful one as well, or secondly, is powerful Because now that you've met your mentee, you've talked with her or him for weeks or hours or months, in some cases, right? A lot of mentoring is, you know, a year long or so. This one is about taking your match and lighting theirs. In many ways, it might go like this. Wanda, we've been talking for four or five years months now about this topic and you've had a couple of different ideas right you're thinking about art therapy you're thinking about psychiatry you're thinking about being a researcher what i keep hearing from you is that the art therapy side seems to be where your passion your love is right that you're maybe not that interested in becoming an md but you really want to help people whatever the scenario is you might say wanda i don't want to missteer you but Everything I'm hearing from you and seeing in you and listening and feeling is that your combination of art and therapy and together this combination could be something that ignites not just your voice, but that of others. I I, I think you ought to make a call. Mm -hmm. I think you ought to become an art therapist. Mm -hmm. Now, the whole whole half of the book up front is like, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't prescribe. Don't live like yours. At some point, your mentee probably want something from you. And this is a role again, that is judicious where you ignite what it is they're going to do. You take your match to their match and you say, here's what you're going to do. It may not be in those words. It may not ever happen, but if it's so clear to you that it's clear in them and they just are looking for someone to give them permission, that might be the role. It's a responsible role, right? right? Because if someone had said to me five years ago, Scott, or not five years ago, 20 years ago, Scott, you should be a trial attorney. You should be a trial attorney. I know the dean of XYZ Law School. I'll help you with your LSAT. I probably would have gone and become a trial attorney. Right. I'd have a fleet of Lamborghinis out front. That may or may not have been the right thing for me in my mission in life. But I, I could have gone the route of trial attorney had someone said to me, this is your calling. You need to do this. Let's get the dean on the phone. I would be a trial attorney right now. Right. Right. Very cautious about it. 
Um, it reminds me, somebody, this is was a total, well, well, they were a client, um, and I don't think would be mind me telling the story, but I won't give away the names, where looking at career transition and what am I going to do next and where am I going and, you know, a whole series of things that bring to that transition, right? And I listened to them over coffee, talk, and I said, so what are you passionate about? Tell me, where were you happiest in your career? What was it that got you excited? And after talking for an hour, an hour and a half, it was so clear the person's face lit up every time they talk about cars. And I just played that back. Every time you talk about cars, you have a completely different demeanor. And that was the catalyst for them to redirect their career successfully to go off and do something neither of us would have imagined, but it was around passion for cars. It was just that acknowledgement of that passion, I think, is just a really important. And it's close to the validator in ways. It, it is. It's it is it's not to be underestimated. Sometimes people just need permission. Yeah. Even from you, their mentor, right? They just need permission to say. Yeah. Yeah, go do that. It's why it's why I, I made it one of the later roles, because I think you have to earn your way there to make sure that you are igniting the right thing. Right, right. Absolutely. All right. I want to do two last ones really quickly, knowing that we're largely out of time. The connector. Optional. Optional. So roll 12. This is the person, this is the person that might choose to give you access to their connections. I was giving a keynote to a university a few months ago and one of the seasoned alumni who was a EVP in a public company, in my speech, he raised his hand. He was so proud of the fact that at a speed mentoring session in the student union center the day before, after having spent five minutes with a student, he gave this person a connection to one of his top you know, advisors in town. He was super proud of it. And I said, great for you. I said, I would never do that in a million years. I would not give someone, I don't even know a reference because that's my reputation. And I'm not shaming you. Great for you. But the more I talked about it, the more he thought, oh, you're right. I hadn't thought through that very well. You're absolutely right. That took me 30 years to develop. And I sent some young person to, I have no idea what their credit score is or their criminal record or how many, I had no idea. So it's an optional role, but you want to have an articulated point of view on when and how you might play that role. All right. And I think if you're a mentee, this is a question you need to ask. You need to say, I would really appreciate if you can introduce me when you feel comfortable introducing, but don't assume it's going to happen. Have the conversation that becomes part of the boundary setting pieces. All right, Scott, one minute, the closer, our last one for today. Not optional. Everyone needs to close out the mentoring session, close out with a couple of components. One, Talk about where they've come, name their progress, talk about it in a funny way, talk about some of the foibles that you made, that they made, remind your mentee what you learned, how you've grown as the mentor, make sure they know that you've taken something out of this. And then lastly, you're kind of re-employing the boundary setter. You're closing out this process and letting your mentee know what role, if any, you choose to play going forward. Hey, I look forward to your your graduation next year. Make sure you send me an invite. No, I'm not coming to your kegger, whatever it is, right? So you want to make sure you close it out, celebrate it, write them a certificate. Don't download something, right? Congrats for surviving Scott Miller's school of sausage making, right? Like (laughs) I put you through the grinder, make it fun. They'll keep that certificate all of their life. Okay. I love it. Again, I think we don't do nearly enough, whether it's coaching or anything to just bring it to a close. And 
I have to say, Scott, these are just eight I think we've done. There are five more. Lots more details about the pros and cons, the skills you need, when you might use them, examples of those. Fabulous book. Highly recommended for anybody who is a mentor. Broaden your set of what you could be doing. For somebody who's a mentee, open your eyes to what you're asking for in a mentoring relationship. Scott, thanks for being a guest again. My honor. It's a pleasure. And join us next week for another episode in getting out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.